Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning grateful for who you are and for your kindness. Would you take our minds this morning, focus them in on you and what you're saying? Would you take my words, my lips, and speak through them? Would you just grab our hearts, set them ablaze for you in a new and a refreshing way? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Grab a seat, please. Good morning. I would imagine that there's two responses to the guy who doesn't have the colors on. One question is, who is that, if you don't know me? Or, or maybe you do know me and you have a different question, which is, I can't believe they're letting him up here to share some thoughts. <laughs> if we haven't met before, my name's JD. I'm the director of the Greensboro Fellows here at Church of the Redeemer. And uh, excited to get to, to share uh, with you this morning. Um, this is my first time getting to, to preach at Church of the Redeemer, and when I was asked to, I got really excited. I did what any 30-year-old male might. I ran out to my car, locked the doors, and I called my mom. And <laughs> My mom's a sweet lady, and I, I gave her a call, and I was so excited. We talked about different things, and she goes, honey, this is so great. Surely you've got good leadership here. I bet they gave you a nice, easy topic to start with. I said, mom... I get to bat second in our freely generous series talking about money. <laughs> and uh, and I am, I'm excited to do that. And, and my mom, uh, I could hear her over the phone kind of exhale a little bit. And, uh, and she just told me that she'd be praying for me. So fueled by the prayers of Beth Meter, a good God-fearing woman, we are jumping in with our second week on the uh, freely generous series. Um, my mom's view and the hesitation that came up with her is one that we, we should acknowledge in the context of the church, a lot of times money or giving can be one of those tougher issues that make us a bit uncomfortable. And there's a lot of good reasons for that. Uh, it's been abused. There's things that people have been through. Um, and despite our thoughts and feelings coming into this type of topic, uh, Jesus uh, didn't seem to be too uncomfortable. Jesus talked about money an awful lot. You may be coming to church this morning hoping to hear a sermon on, on faith. How do I increase my faith? And that's a, that's a good thing. Or, or maybe you're really encouraged by sermons on prayer, right? How do I grow in my prayer life and intimacy with the Lord? These are all good things. But from a scriptural standpoint, Jesus talked about money and stewardship of our resources more than he talked about faith and prayer combined. Or, or maybe, maybe, we're talking about Christianity, right? We're talking about eternal life. What's the deal with heaven? What's the deal with the afterlife? What do we do with that? But, but, but what do we do with Jesus talked more about money and stewardship of resources than he talked about heaven and hell combined? It was a big issue for him. It came up all the time. If you read through the Gospels, one of the ways that Jesus loved to communicate with his people were through parables or for stories, right? And you've read through some of these. We're going to talk about one of them briefly this morning. And when you look at that, and there's about 40 of those parables, what do we do with the fact that over 25% of those parables, over a quarter of them, the chief subject is money and stewardship of resources, if you are here last week, Bishop Allen uh, talked about the first part of the passage that we're going to dive into here this morning, and he referenced this idea that I think should be reiterated, that money and our heart are tied really closely together. 
And that money can often be a place that can be idolatrous, can bring something into that with us. And so despite how we may be feeling about addressing the subject in the context of the church, my belief, and I think the biblical belief, I think what you'll hear throughout this series is that the church is actually the appropriate and maybe the best place to talk about our money and our stewardship of it, and particularly in terms of generosity and how we give our money effectively and give it away well. The local church is the ideal conduit for that. And so if you have Bibles with you, or if you're a millennial like me and you have the YouVersion app, I would encourage you to pull out either your phones or your Bibles. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 9. Um, we're going to begin in verse 9. And as you're turning there, I just want to give a little bit of context to, to Corinth. Um, Corinth in, in the early church was a really large city, according to Rossner and his commentary. This is a description of Corinth. Just listen to see if anything maybe jumps out to you. Corinth was prosperous, it was cosmopolitan, it was religiously pluralistic, it was accustomed to visits by impressive traveling public speakers, and obsessed with status, self-promotion, and personal rights. When I read that the first time, I was like, huh, that sounds a little bit familiar. It's almost like this book is applicable to where we are today in the U.S. in 2022. What you'll see, too, is you read through First and Second Corinthians, it's some of Paul's very best stuff, right? It's often memorized, it's preached, and it's taught. And you may be asking yourself why. N.T. Wright said this about the church in Corinth. If there was one church that caused Paul to pull his hair out and made him age before his time, it was probably the church of God in Corinth. These were a people that continually brought lots of issues before Paul that he had to continue to be addressing, issues like sexual immorality, these super apostles that came in, divisions within the church, etc., etc., etc. What N.T. Wright will also say that we see in the Corinthian letters is that Paul is constantly affirming his love for them through tough messages. Paul was not just to the Corinthians an apostle or a theologian. He was, in every sense, a pastor caring for his converts with a deep and a resilient love. And so we have in this text this morning, I just say all that to say this, the, the person writing this is a pastor who knew these people deeply. Paul spent 18 months on the ground planting the church in Corinth. He knew these people loved and cared for them. And it's from that pastoral, church-bearing, shepherding heart that we get his thoughts on generosity and giving this morning. And so that's the context of where we're going. So whether we're talking about Jesus in terms of money, Paul in terms of money, or hopefully Church of the Redeemer in the church, this is a good and a safe place to address a really important topic. So hopefully I've given you quite a bit of time. We're in 2 Corinthians. We're in chapter 9. We're going to begin in verse 9. Um, in verse 9, Paul does something that maybe every good pastor or preacher should do. He references scripture. What a great idea. Verse 9, he, he quotes Psalm 112. He says, as it is written... He has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. If you were flipping through the Psalms, I would imagine if you read this verse, your first thought may not be, how does this apply to my generosity, right? This is more a Psalm talking about the character of God, and what Paul's doing here is making a little bit of a switch. If you weren't here last week, or if you haven't read the, the uh, previous passage before, Paul's very focused on the Corinthians and on their giving He's talking to them about a gift that they're going to make to the Jerusalem church for the saints there. And uh, he, Paul talks about how he's been bragging to this other group, the Macedonians, about their gift. And he's going to send people on the way to come and get that gift from them. And it's going to be really important. What he's doing here is making a shift in the subject. The subject is no longer on the people in Corinth, right? The subject is now turning to the character of God. 
He's the one who distributes freely. He's the one who gives to the poor. And in verse 10, he continues with that idea if we keep reading. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The focus of this is clearly on the Lord. Who is he in this? The Sunday school answer, Jesus. Yeah, it's the Lord. It's God in this. In the fellows program, one of the things that we talk about is we talk about our stories and how there's stories going on around us that shift the way that we see our lives, people around us, even the way that we read the text and read scripture. And in our cultural moment today, we live in a society that's very consumed with consuming, consuming, that's a great, consuming, you're a consumer if you consume. English is my first and only language, I'm not that good at it. Need a translator for this service, too. Anyways, they, uh, the, it's a consumer culture, right? It's get, get, get. And we're taught at a young age. And it's not all a bad thing that you're to work really hard to grab resources so you can own a lot of things so that you can be set. And this isn't all just a bad idea. But think about the ways that we phrase things that we have, right? It's my stuff. It's my property. I own it. These aren't necessarily bad thoughts. But, but what I think Paul is doing here is... In the context of the passage covered last week, he talks about how the Corinthians are going to be giving this offering to Jerusalem, and what he's maybe not so gently reminding them here is that the only reason that they have the ability to give and to help their fellow churches is because of God and because of his generosity towards his church. We, may, we would do well to remember this as well. We, friends, are not owners of creation All things are made by God, they come from God, and ultimately they belong to God. This is in terms of everything across the board. For me, I'm really reminded of this with my children. They're not mine, they're the Lord's. My possessions aren't mine, it's the Lord's. All of creation isn't mine to take and to own, it's the Lord's. My time isn't mine, it's the Lord's. And certainly, my money is not mine, it's the Lord's. This is really applicable to us in our culture, and it should change the way that we view giving and generosity. If if you have some time this week, I'd encourage you to go to 2 Chronicles 29. It's David at the end of his reign. At the end of his reign, he's making a very large gift before the Lord. He's one of the richest men at the time on the planet. He's making a big gift that's going to go towards the building of the temple. And this is what he says in that prayer. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? Listen to this. For all things come from you and of your own have we given you. We aren't owners, friends. We're stewards. Owners have the mindset that it's my stuff and I've earned it. Stewards have a different definition. Randy Alcorn is an author. He writes a lot on this subject in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He says this, A steward's primary goal is to be found faithful by his master as the steward uses the master's resources to accomplish the tasks delegated to him. When we recognize that everything is the Lord's, something in our psyche changes. I spent the last five years as a major gift officer with a large international missions organization. I had the opportunity to be around some really generous and amazing people. I, I went to Bitty Bitty a few years ago with a pro baseball player. If you like baseball, you would know this person's name. He's one of the most generous and amazing people I've ever been around. And if you don't know Bitty Bitty, it's a refugee settlement, 260,000 South Sudanese refugees. They've just recently, in the past few years, for the first time in their lives, had access to safe drinking water a lot because of this guy and his generosity. And when we were sitting around the dinner table, he referenced a book, and this is what he said. He 
said, when I realized that nothing I have was made by me, the question in my mind changed from what should I give to how much should I keep. None of it was his, right? It's an understanding that everything is the Lord's. Paul's telling us in verse 10. If we keep reading, we'll jump over to verse 11. And it says this, that you'll be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Last week in verse 6, if you read it, Paul says that whoever sows sparingly is also going to reap sparingly. He says the same for sows bountifully is going to reap bountifully. He doubles down on that idea. But that first phrase, I just want to park there for a minute. You will be enriched. When I read that, if I'm fully transparent with you all, sometimes I, I have to ask myself, do I actually believe that? Do I believe that the Lord has enriched me? Not just that he's enriched me, but that he's enriched me in every way? There's a quote that I've been stirring on in my mind in my devotional life recently. It's from A.W. Tozer. He says this, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And in terms of money or in terms of giving in a sacrificial way, can I just ask, what's, what's the first thought that creeps into our mind? Are you ever tempted with the thoughts, do you believe that God might be holding back from you? Do you ever believe that God is nickeling and diming you for the things that you own? Do you believe that the church sometimes takes a posture of wanting to take away from you? And again, I mentioned this earlier, money is very much a heart issue. It's why we should talk about it here in the church so much. It's between you and the Lord. It's between the Lord and his creation. And we would do well as a church and a body of believers to be reminded that God is extremely generous with us. We need to remember his character. We need to remember the posture that he has towards you and the posture that he has towards me. This is all throughout scripture. I'd encourage you to go through it. A couple thoughts. The first one, in Job 33, it says that the Lord gives life, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. In 1 Corinthians 3, he says that the Lord gives the increase. In 1 Corinthians 15, it says he gives us victory. In 1 Samuel and Deuteronomy, it says that he gives us rest from our enemies. Are you noticing a theme here? The Lord's a giver. And maybe the most quoted and memorized verse in the whole Bible, John 3:16, right? The creator, for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. This is his character. This is what he is. We're just scratching the surface of that idea. But what I hope, what I hope resonates with you is that the Lord has been immensely generous with you. He is a giver. This is his character. And that we, as a church, we truly have been enriched in every way. And we haven't just been enriched in every way. There's a second half to this verse. You don't have to be an expert in the Greek to understand it. There's a purpose behind this. It's to be generous in every way. It's kind of a twofold thought. We've been enriched in every way to be generous. Everything that God does, he does with intentionality. God has not lost track of where his stuff is. I do sometimes. He hasn't lost where his creation is. The Lord does not give us our gifts, our time, our talent, our treasure for us to hoard it up and to store it for ourselves. You see this throughout scripture as well. There's parables throughout the Bible. One of them's in Matthew 25, the parable of the tenants. That Jesus tells a story. There's a master who's going to be leaving town, and he takes some of his wealth and distributes it to three of his trusted servants. He gives one five, one two, and the last one he gives one. And that last, the two of them take it, they invest it, they use what the master has given them, right? And that goes well. But then there's this third. What he does is he takes it, he digs a hole in the ground, and he buries what the master gives him. When the master returns, what does he say? He calls him a wicked 
and slothful servant. We're not supposed to take the master's gifts and just bury them and not use them. We see the same theme again in Matthew 6. That's Matthew 6 is the passage that we talk about. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, right? We resonate with that one. A few sentences before, there's some instructions. One of the instructions is this. Don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. You've been enriched in every way to be generous in every way. You're not enriched just for the sake of holding it and hoarding it and building up some sense of wealth. Bob Goff is an author that I really appreciate. He says it in a really short version. He says that the people of God were rivers, not reservoirs, right? What we receive from the Lord is supposed to flow through us and out of us. So you've been enriched to be generous. But I want to say this too, that one of the chief goals of generosity, in my opinion, and I think you see this in Paul's writing, is to make you more like God. He himself, we've established this, he's immensely generous. And what he's teaching us through generosity is to be more like him. Look at the language there in verse 11. You've been enriched in every way to be generous in every way. It's almost as if he's saying, look at me, I give like this. Now you give like this, right? I'm kind of reminded of that Abba Father relationship. Watch me, now you try. I have a two-year-old daughter, we have a miniature football She's really bad at throwing it, but I'm trying to teach her. I need her to be, I'm like, sweetie, your dad works in ministry. Scholarship, scholarship, scholarship. <laughs> be praying for me. And so, so I sh- but I show her, I'm like, we toss like this. Now you try, right? Isn't that a little bit of what God's doing here? Have we ever considered that generosity is a way of making us more like Christ? And Christ-likeness, is that not the goal for us? Is the goal for us not to grow to be more and more like our Father in heaven? Billy Graham said this, that being a Christian is more than an instantaneous conversion. It's a daily process where we grow to be more and more like Christ. And friends, I think according to Paul, generosity is a really good way to grow more and more like Christ. We'll keep reading. In verse 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing in thanksgiving to God, I love what Paul does here because I'm a guy who likes ROI. I like return on investment. And what he is doing here is casting some vision for us, right? What's the ministry of the service? Yeah, it's going to supply needs. It's also going to produce thanksgiving to God. There can be this idea that I used to hear that generosity should just be an emotional feeling when we're moved by something we should give towards it. And hear me, that's a really good thing. Like, be moved. Let the emotion, that's all fine. But there's also another side of that coin. Biblically, there's a lot of talk that sees generosity more as an investment, where you expect a return. In Matthew 6, these are the same passages we talked about earlier, right? Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But then he has another phrase. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth or rust corrupt, and where thieves do not break in and steal, right? Send it ahead. Send it forward. There's some sense of investing in what eternity is going to look like for me. In, in Matthew 25, the parable of the talents that we mentioned, mentioned before too, right? They came to settle accounts. And the other two, they did well. They took their resources and used it just as the Lord said. And there's a return on that investment. In verse 21, the master comes to settle accounts. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'm going to set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. There's an investment and there's a return on our investment from a kingdom perspective. Results matter in the kingdom. 
Paul says this, yeah, you're going to supply the needs, but it's actually going to get a little bit better. This is going to produce thanksgiving from all the saints in Jerusalem. Have we considered that when God calls us to give through generosity, we're invited into making kingdom results and kingdom impact. And the result of it is going to be the Lord receiving praise beyond what you can give him yourself. It's a multiplication effect of thanksgiving towards our Father in heaven. So results matter in the kingdom if you're wired like me in that. In verse 13, by the, their approval of this service, they'll glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. What I want to briefly just mention here is just a tough word to chew on, and it's the word submission. But what does it look like for you, and what does it look like for our lives to actually submit ourselves to Christ Jesus in every area of our life? As believers, we're called to lay down our lives. What does it look like to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ, that despite our feelings, thoughts, and opinions, we're going to just submit ourselves to what Jesus has to say? Or if we take it a step further, what does it look like to submit ourselves, despite our thoughts, feelings, and opinions, under the authority of Scripture? How do we submit ourselves in that way? Or this might be a little weird sounding, but what does it look like to submit ourselves even to another level, under the authority of Christ's church and his bride? I would just say this to you. At every step of that tier, every one of those is going to call us to be immensely generous in response to who God is and what he's done for us. And, and in the early church that Paul references here in this time period, in the early ADs, the scholars say that, that their submission in terms of finances was actually one of their greatest weapons in terms of evangelism. According to historical records, generosity was one of the primary elements for church growth in the Greco-Roman world. One of the ways that they looked the most different to the people around them was how radically generous they were with one another and with people outside the church. And so friends, we do well to really meditate on, on that idea of submitting to Christ and what that means in terms of our finances. To finish up our reading for this morning, verse 14 and 15, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Friends, God's the one who gives. He has grace. Um, and there can be this idea that we're supposed to bring some capital and then God will bring action after he does that. I would just like to throw out this idea that maybe in the kingdom, God's just going to do what he wants to do. Perhaps the creator of all things is going to do all things and he's not waiting on us to do it. I have a friend who works in the Bible translation space. If you're not familiar with this around the world, the Bible's not translated into every heart language. There's millions of people right now that don't have the Bible in a way that they can read it and understand it. Um, and for a long time, there were a lot of organizations working in this space. They were kind of siloed and doing their own thing. And as they would cast vision, they were like, maybe at the end of this century, maybe the 2080s, 90s, we can get this in every language on the planet. Um, but then the donors actually came to them and said, no, 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 you guys need to get on the same page. And if you get on the same page, we'll fund it. And when they did that, they started to get aligned and something changed. And if you look at the, it's called the Illuminations Movement. If you were to look at that today, the Bible, we're living in exciting times, friends. The Bible's going to be translated into every language on the planet by 2033. It's coming. It's coming really soon, and we should praise God for that. It's a dramatic change in impact. What also changed was their language. Instead of going to people and saying, a development person, someone like me, what I used to do, instead of saying, hey, could you give this so we could translate the Bible into this language... Not that that's a bad thing. 
their, their question shifted. Instead, they said, hey, God's going to bring his word to every language on the planet by 2033. Do you want to be a part of it? You see that difference? God is the one doing the work. Friends, I, I believe that God's going to do the work. And the question in, when it comes to terms of our generosity and kingdom is not, will you do it so God can? The question is, do you want to be a part of what God's already going to do? I would encourage you to go through your Bible and see what the Lord Jesus Christ says he's going to do for his church. His promises are true with or without our giving. God doesn't need our money to build his church. He does, however, really, really, really want our hearts and our money's tied to that. And therefore, we get the gift and the blessing of being invited to support the work that God's going to do through his church in a financial way. And so the question today, the last question I have for you today, is do you want to be a part of the work that the Lord Jesus Christ is already going to do? So a couple thoughts to take away with you this morning. First of all, it's all God's. We're blessed to be stewards in his kingdom. Second, you've been enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And when we do, you're going to grow into Christ-likeness, which is a real gift. Your gift is a good thing, but it's also an investment. It's a really good investment in joining God and receiving praise. And finally, he's going to build his church. He's going to build his church. The gates of hell are not going to overcome it, and he's inviting us to join with him in that. Do you want to be a part of it? I know that I do. Praise be to the one who gives to us and invites us to join him in that.